0: Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim
1: Conlon. And we're the old dogs. We're a couple of boomers in our 70s that want to grow bolder, not older. We'll share with you the ways we howl at the moon, the fascinating old dogs we meet, and the new tricks that we learn. Our goal is to rethink that phrase, act your age. As the old philosopher Bob Dylan once said... Those not busy being born are busy dying.
0: So if you've got 20 minutes or so to
1: kill, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In today's podcast, we're going to give you a little background on perhaps one of the greatest recipes of any holiday dinner. We'll report on a terrible theft that occurred recently, the mystery of the stolen colon. We're going to attempt to explain that mysterious thing called the placebo effect, Ask how well you would do if you had to take the U.S. citizenship test. Review a terrific book we came across recently about 50 great inventions. And in our old dogs interview, we're going to talk to Ms. Lydia Porto, an actress with a long career who is suddenly gaining fame and possibly fortune in Hollywood. Say, Jim, yes?
0: what's on your
1: mind? Well, I've been kind of thinking about food. <laughs> What a it, big surprise. It is about lunchtime, isn't it? <laughs> now, specifically, the kinds of things that I used to consume when I was a kid in the 50s. Ah, uh, yeah. Does that bring up any memories for you? You know
0: what you know what? I think right away? Yeah. TV dinners. Oh, absolutely. The very first one was Swanson's turkey dinner, and uh-huh. you had to uncover some parts yep, and yeah. cover other parts up. But when you cooked it, it was a fairly sophisticated <laughs> No, it it wasn't. It tasted terrible.
1: (laughs) But we didn't notice because we were watching TV, right? That's right. Great
0: idea. Oh, fizzies.
1: Do you Uh, remember fizzies? Oh, I
0: sure do, yeah. (laughs) You put a tablet in water, and it fizzed up and created a drink that was almost undrinkable.
1: Undrinkable, (laughs) and you know why? You know, parents would never drink this stuff because they thought it was flavored (laughs) Alka-Seltzer.
0: How about Licamade? Oh, Remember yeah, that? Yeah. It it looked like uh, small little Kool-Aid envelopes. Uh-huh. You rip it open, choke it down. It was a powder. Uh-huh. And you did choke it down. Yeah, and, and you made a face. Yeah, some some of it went into the windpipe, some of it went <laughs> other places. We'll never know.
1: Okay. Um in a slightly similar vein. How about Tang? Do you remember that? Orange flavored oh, drink. Oh, absolutely the, Tang. The yeah. Astronauts drink.
0: Space Age drink. We yeah. had it in our family all the time. Big yep. jar of Tang on the shelf.
1: Yeah. I tar- I used to try to squeeze the jar just hoping that it was fresh.
0: <laughs> hey, how about flavor straws?
1: Yeah you yeah. remember that? You're right. You dip them in the milk and, and they gradually flavor the milk. Well, there was
0: like a wad of cotton impregnated <laughs> with the flavoring or something. Inside the straw. Inside the straw. Yeah. And so you would suck it up and who knows what other kinds of carcinogenic chemicals you, you ingested. But wow.
1: Okay, on a different note then, um, what about – this is something that we used to bring to school and we always got in trouble for it. Wax lips. Ah, Remember wax lips? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah, The teachers would look at you and say, what's wrong with you?
0: Yeah, and sometimes you had to chew them and eat them (laughs) to hide them, right?
1: Right, right, right. Mm
0: Uh, and that, here's one. Remember, Ipana toothpaste. Oh yeah,
1: Bucky Beaver. Brush up, brush up, brush up. New Ipana a toothpaste. toothpaste with the yeah. brand new flavor. <laughs> it's handy for your teeth.
0: Oh, and here's one more too. Uh-huh. Geritol. Geritol. And do you remember the, what's uh, what show was sponsored by Geritol?
1: Um, Ted Mac Amateur Hour. Absolutely. Right. For tired, uh, for no iron poor blood. Iron. Poor blood. Oh, um, didn't they call it iron deficiency anemia? I, did they ever – on the ads they called it? It was like – like, that's, that's right. scientific formula. They made it sound like, like a deadly real. disease.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, geritol. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And I thought, uh, am I ever going to need geritol in that distant future called <laughs> our age? Yes, really.
0: We well, you know all this uh, kind of brings us to our first news item, uh-huh. which is something that has been around since the 50s and it's still going strong every November. And this brings us to our first item. The Washington Post on October 24th, 2018, announced that Dorcas Riley died at the age of 92. Oh. If her name is not familiar, here's a hint. Her invention resides in the National Inventors Hall of Fame, along with Thomas Edison's light bulb and Enrico Fermi's nuclear reactor. Give up? (laughs) Okay. Well, here's another hint. Her invention has been a feature of Thanksgiving dinner for over 50 years. Oh, the electric carving knife. No. The answer is green bean casserole. Oh, I was just going to say that. Her job was developing recipes for the Campbell's Soup Company, which, of course, featured one of the Campbell's soups. Uh Her challenge at the time was to come up with a simple dish that featured Campbell's Mushroom Soup. And the result was a six-ingredient side dish that took 10 minutes to prepare and 30 minutes to bake. Campbell's estimates that 40% of cream of mushroom soup sales in the U.S. ends up in green bean casserole. And in 2009, she was quoted as saying this about her creation. Oh, I loved going to work every day. It was just another day's work. I hope you enjoy green bean casserole forever. And in 2002, Campbell's donated the original recipe card written by Riley to the National Inventors Hall of Fame, and the The rest rest is history.
1: You know, it makes me wonder, Paul, what happens with the other 60% of mushroom soup? (laughs) Okay, I swear we are not making this up. All our pieces are legitimate news items. This one comes from the New York Times, reprinted by the Houston Chronicle on November 1st, 2018. It seems that an inflatable colon was stolen overnight when it was left uncovered in a truck in Kansas City, Missouri. A stolen colon. Now, a natural question is, why would someone own an inflatable lower intestine?
0: I'm waiting for the answer. (laughs)
1: Well, here it is. The inflated colon, which measures 10 feet by 10 feet, is used to promote awareness of colorectal cancer. As to why someone would steal it, well, it's anybody's guess. Of course, the inevitable jokes follow on social media. Does anyone know the scope of the crime? Hopefully, there is no obstruction of justice Um, We need to flush out what happened and get to the bottom of it. Well,
0: the ending is a fundraiser to replace the colon raised more than (laughs) $11,000. Enough for two new inflatables. Ah, but then the original inflatable was recovered by the police. So now, what do they do with the
1: $11,000? They buy green bean casseroles.
0: There you go. Our suggestion is to add a whole lower tract, an (laughs) upper and a lower (laughs) intestine to the display, and let the kids bounce on it. Let them have some fun. Of
1: course. Most of us are aware of something they call the placebo effect. Well, Time magazine recently published an article about the placebo effect. This is fairly old news. In fact, Thomas Jefferson mentioned in his correspondence a successful doctor that liberally used placebos in his practice. His prescriptions were mostly bread pills, colored water, and medicinal powders of tree ash. I think I I had
0: the same doctor. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, And did you know Thomas Jefferson personally?
0: Well, we, we traveled in the same group.
1: I imagine. At the time, life expectancy was 36 years, so I don't suppose he did much harm. In case you don't know, the placebo effect results when patients are prescribed treatment or medication that has no medical value, but the patient responds favorably anyway. It's well documented that the effect exists, but the underlying reasons for its effectiveness aren't clear. Is it just self-deception, or is something deeper occurring that speaks to our body's ability to heal itself? Here's some interesting placebo information. Sham surgeries provide the same relief for osteoarthritis of the knee as actual surgery. The effect appears to be stronger if people believe their phony medication is expensive. People respond better to sham sedatives that are blue-colored and champagne medications that are colored white. The effect still works when people know they are receiving a placebo.
0: Well, in case anybody out there wants to play doctor, you can buy placebo pills by the bottle on Amazon for less than the cost of a paperback. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about becoming a citizen. Well, it does take passing a test, a citizenship test. Oh, no. And I wonder how how many of you out there think you could pass it.
1: <laughs> well, before you answer, listen to this. This item is from U.S. News & World Report dated October 12, 2018. According to a study by the Woodrow Wilson National Fellowship Foundation, about two-thirds of Americans would not pass the test required to become a citizen. To arrive at this figure, people were given a mock exam with questions taken from the U.S. citizenship exam. A passing score was 60%. Um, not that
0: rigorous a test, folks, but... 60% didn't know which countries we fought during World War II. Oh, no. No. Only 24% could identify one thing that Benjamin Franklin was famous for. 37% said he invented the light bulb.
1: Oh, that's silly.
0: About a quarter knew why the colonists fought the British during the War of Independence. Mm -hmm. More than half didn't know how many justices were on the Supreme Court. The answer is nine. Okay. While most knew about the Cold War, 2% said it was another name for climate change. Oh,
1: for goodness sake. Anyway, uh, good news is that uh, boomers did pretty well. People age 65 or older scored the best with a passing rate of 74%. People 45 and younger scored the worst with a passing rate of 19%. What happened to Mrs. Abernathy in third grade history? Anyway, remember that the next time you get in an argument with your kids. Okay, so it is time for the famous Old Dog's Book Review.
0: Indeed, and I've got a read for those of us who check the number of pages before they'll commit to a book. That's me. The book I'm recommending is called 50 Inventions That Shape the Modern Economy by Tim Harford. Mm -hmm. It has 280 pages in bite-sized chunks. By that, I mean the book comprises 50 chapters, with each chapter focusing on a different invention for about four to five pages. Each chunk is thoughtful, witty, and worth a moment of reflection, hmm. so you can read just one chapter or several in one sitting. The chapters don't follow in any order, so it's a perfect book for bedtime, bathroom, or a faulty long-term memory.
1: <laughs> and Give me some examples.
0: Barbed wire, TV dinners, the barcode, double-entry bookkeeping, and the plow. Intriguing? Give this book a try. That's 50 Inventions That Shaped the Modern Economy by Tim Harford. It's not a long-term commitment. It's more like speed dating.
1: Our interview for This Old Dog's podcast is with Lydia Porto, an actress whose long career has taken her from Hollywood to Houston to Hollywood again, where lately she's been finding a tremendous amount of success. She's currently in a featured role in the TV series Get Shorty, Let's find out what she's been up to lately.
0: Hi, Lydia. Hi. Well, i tell you, the first question is, how did you develop an interest in theater?
2: Well, my mother always loved putting on shows, and she was what was called a declamadora, which is kind of like a monologue person. There are these beautiful long story poems in the Spanish uh, literary tradition, and so you would memorize them and, and perform them in public. So she always had sort of like a performer's soul. And so my mom instilled that love of performance. But she never really saw it as a profession. So my struggle with her was that I wanted to do it for a living, and she didn't think I could. And so I studied all kinds of other things and just kind of had to prove to her that I could make a living at this. Um, And and I have her blessing, and she loves it, and, and she thinks it's great. But I think she was just worried that she didn't understand how you make a living at this.
1: Well, you've certainly, I think, shown her that it can be done. <laughs> and I know that you I had... Consider
2: it, I consider it kind of like a mission of mine to tell parents that if their kids love theater, let them study theater. It worked out for the best. I studied literature. I studied international affairs. I studied a ton of stuff in college. But I never stopped loving acting. And all of that education has been useful to me. In directing and in, in choosing projects, I certainly had no trouble getting other types of work if I have needed to.
0: Now, by all accounts, you were a successful actress in Houston. Uh, what, Thank you. Why did you decide later in your career uh, to move to Los Angeles?
2: Well, I had actually lived in Los Angeles before I moved to Houston. I started my um, career in the television business in, in L.A., uh, working for KCT, which is a public broadcasting station there. But while I was in LA, I got my first few commercials and kind of transferred over into where I was working in the television business. What happened in 1990 was that my parents had been living in Saudi Arabia. My sister had been in the Air Force. I was living in LA. They all moved back to Houston. And my mom said, come back to Houston. You can get an agent and make that final transition. You know, that difficult transition where if you don't audition all the time, you can't get enough work to really gain traction. And yet, if you aren't getting enough work, you can't make a living, so you need a job. And it's that struggle that so many actors face of, well, I'm going to work as a waiter or this and that and the other. And my mom said, why don't you just come home? You can stay with us for a while, so I went. you can get some credits. And the plan initially was to get a- some credits and then move back to L.A., but the more I stayed in Houston, the more I enjoyed being around my family, the more I realized that I could make a living in Houston. And I thought that Houston at the time had a very exciting versioning theater scene, that I could get experience there. I connected well with the Hispanic community there. And year after year after year, I just kind of decided to stay one year more. And then I started getting flown out to test for leads and pilots, and I started getting cast out of Houston, and I just thought, you know, maybe there's a market for me. Maybe LA doesn't have something that I offer or something, so I came back, and and everything just happened so quickly. I mean, before I knew it, I had an agent. I was getting work. I didn't even unpack my apartment in Houston. I just grabbed a studio in LA, and I still live there, but um, it just seemed to be the right time, I guess, for me, and so I stayed.
0: So what happened to suffering?
1: <laughs> yeah, What happened to waiting tables and waiting for your first break? <laughs>
0: yes, and being desperate. and. Uh...
2: I don't believe in that. I had a teacher early on who used to tell me, the more I play, the more money I make. That whole idea of suffering is a, is a mental construct, and we have to fight it. Um, I had to wait, but I always um, had the opportunity to do other work that I really enjoyed. I mean, it took me a long time, but I don't know that I suffered. I think I I really enjoyed every step along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's just me.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you've been in a lot Uh, of production in Hollywood since you made that uh, trip. Yeah. And uh, in addition to your current regular role on Get Shorty, which uh, I think is a pretty big deal, Uh, You've appeared on Arrested (laughs) Development. You've been on This Is Us, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, American Housewife. Would you say that there's um, a type of character that people are attracted to when they cast you for these parts?
2: Well, um, we do these exercises at the Screen Actors Guild where people are supposed to look at you and say what, what they think of. And I think I came out as like the friendly Aunt next door, who probably works as a social worker or a nanny or something like that. So I have worked as nannies. I have worked as the friendly neighbor next door, as the. But I have always had kind of a little bit of a sarcastic sense of humor. And from the very beginning, like my very first film that I ever got cast in was Rocket Man. And I remember the casting director saying, Oh, it was your sarcasm. So I always have kind of like a little bit of a twist. So I do kind of maybe get like the snarky housekeeper or (laughs) you know the the nanny with a little bit of attitude or something like that Um, but like an American housewife I was loose the housekeeper of the neighbor but I was in business with (laughs) with the son you know she had a lot of personality and and uh, she was tough and I've played the uh, matriarch of a family that makes their money um, chopping cars and selling them on the black market and so, I always seem to f- have
0: roles that have a little bit of an edge to them. You know, uh, Lydia, the the, uh, the bane of an actor is desperation, wouldn't you say? Uh, is is there a point after you moved out to Los Angeles when you knew you had it made? You know, if I don't get this, if I don't get this <laughs> part, I'll have something. Well, I'm sure you're very confident that you'll be working for a while.
2: Well, you know, it's funny because I think that I'll be working for a while, but somehow that, that internal experience is still something that we all struggle with. And I, I've i worked with actors who I think are light years ahead of me in terms of success, and they still struggle with insecurities. So I'm not sure that that certainty can be achieved by changing external circumstances alone. I think at, at some point, you just have to have faith that this is what you were meant to do, and if that's the case, you'll you'll be allowed to do it, you know?
1: Yeah. So under those circumstances, uh, wouldn't you say that you have been successful following that philosophy?
2: <laughs> Pretty much. I'm still alive, <laughs> and I'm not completely insane, so I would say that's successful. This goal of having a, being a regular in a series is one that I've had for a while. I kind of felt like it was almost unachievable to a certain extent. I mean, it seems like one that it's a pretty big goal, but I thought, yeah, that would be good. I could sink my teeth into a role. I could I could be on that show for a while, and then I could have some time off and maybe do other projects. And that's exactly what I've tried to take advantage of. Um, I just directed my first um, short film in L.A. over the summer, and I'm looking into maybe branching out as a, you know, learning more about directing in the future. And there's all kinds of possibilities that having some downtime and, and just being able to have this this time off to reconsider um, that comes from just having a a work structure
0: like that that I'm really grateful for well it looks like we made it through another podcast as you probably noticed we need help Mm -hmm. so please share what's
1: on your mind head to our website www.olddogspodcast.com we'd love to hear how you howl at the moon